0: You're listening to Pet dot com
1: Welcome to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Tioni Anderson. In my last show, I was in complete denial about the end of summer. Well, I've accepted the fact that fall is coming whether I'm ready or not. So I figured that now that parents are focusing on back to school for their children, I thought it would be a good time for us to focus on back to school for your dog. How do you know you're getting the right trainer, though? Helping me answer this question is going to be my special guest, Katina Jones. Katina is the Director of Educational Programs for the APDT. We'll be sharing our top tips for choosing the right trainer in class, and we'll be discussing her book, Fetching the Perfect Dog Trainer. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.
0: We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Uh. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio, positively possum. Petco, where the pets go. Petco,
2: where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right, but that's not all. Because you're a PetLife Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. Six dollars off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to petcodeals.com. That's petcodeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. Let's talk pets on
0: petliferadio.com.
1: Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teody Anderson. Well, We are gathering our school supplies, but instead of protractors and pencil cases, I honestly have no idea what kids have to take to school these days. It is doggy treats and clickers. And with me is my friend, Katina Jones. She is the Director of Educational Programs with the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, the APDT. Katina, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Teody. Thank you so much for having me. Well, before we get started on finding the right trainer, first, why don't you tell folks a little bit about the APDT and what it stands for?
3: The APDT is the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, and we're a membership group that's comprised of about 6,000 dog trainers all over the world. And Our biggest initiative is to provide ongoing quality education for dog trainers and to make sure that they're staying current and up-to-date on new techniques and concepts and just basically keeping their brain flexible and active and in shape by continuing to pursue ongoing education.
1: And that's so important because dog training has changed so much since I first started.
3: Oh, absolutely.
1: I I think... It's something that as we learn more about different species of
3: animals through different scientific avenues, it opens the doors for what we can apply to each other as humans and with our companion animals as well, both cats and dogs. So
1: it's a continually evolving industry. Absolutely. The APDT recently changed its name within the last year. I think it was from pet dog trainers to professional dog trainers. And can you talk a little bit about that trend that we're headed for? Yes, and it was
3: previously to differentiate between folks who worked with dogs in different fields like canine work. And we're finding that there's not quite as much of a line between that. People who work Mm -hmm. with companion pets and people who work with canine type dogs. By canine, I mean uh, working like police dogs and military dogs. So we're finding a lot of trainers are handling companion dogs and household pets. And there's not necessarily just a niche anymore. It's it's becoming a lot more common and a lot more people are coming in the industry. And our goal is really to raise the level of professionalism. Take it from a hobby to a career.
1: And I love that. And you know, that's what I'm speaking about at the upcoming APDT conference. In fact, we tied that in yes. nicely, didn't we folks? But yes. we're talking. <laughs> we're talking about it should be more professional because Anybody can call themselves a dog trainer. Anybody can go get a bunch of business cards printed and say, woohoo, come, come, let me take your money. I'm going to train your dog now. And I know that you've experienced this as well. But when I get called in to help a family with their dog, either the dog came with a problem, the family sometimes caused the problem, or the dog had a problem and another trainer made it worse because the trainer wasn't a professional, a true professional, didn't know what they were doing and they made an existing situation much, much worse or created the problem in the first place. It can be kind of scary.
3: Absolutely. And, and when we hear the term professional, We assume as consumers that it means qualified, but it doesn't necessarily. And that's really what the APDT is trying to do is allow and educate consumers about what the difference is between professional and not professional. (laughs) Anybody can (laughs) take money for that. That doesn't make them a professional. I can come in and say I can rewire your house. You might not want me to. I I don't really have no idea what I'm doing, but you could pay me for it, and I can mess up your house, and I can mess up your dog if you hire me and I'm not qualified.
1: And I think a lot of folks have experienced that with contractors, too. Somebody who says they can tile your bathroom, and they come in and they mm-hmm. create a mess. And when we're dealing with a living, breathing, emotional creature, such as a dog, the fallout from making that wrong choice can be really bad. I remember a friend of mine many years ago took her dog to a club where I was training again many, many years ago. It was basically a punishment based training because that 's how I started i, I didn 't know better back then that 's what I was taught and she had this little Westie puppy, a little West Highland white puppy, and she brought it to this beginning class, and the instructor said, "Can I use your dog as a demo?" And she just said, "Sure," and she handed the dog over and the dog was afraid. The puppy was afraid. And so he started cowering down and the instructor made him heal. He made him walk next to him by tying the dog's leash to his ankle and dragging him around this garage. Yeah. And the dog peed all over himself. He was terrified. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and, and she's all teary when she's telling me the story. She says, you know, I trusted him. I trusted him to do what was right. And honestly, this instructor probably thought he was doing the right thing. That was back in the old dominance theory. and must make the dog comply. But what resulted was a dog, a very young, impressionable puppy that was now terrified of men and a lot of public places. The dog started associating that public parking garage with outdoors and with streets and and car noises. And the little baby was a mess. And it was so sad to see because it, it really resulted from someone who did not have a good understanding of canine behavior and what he was forcing the dog to do.
3: Absolutely. And I I have that happen more times than I care to count where I get the call after the dog has been, I call it broken, another trainer where they were seeking help. Someone opened their home to a dog in an abuse case or puppy mill cases or or whatever. It's an adult dog that comes with fear issues or trust issues and they're put in a situation that is actually exactly counterintuitive to what one should do. And then I am asked to come in after another trainer has, quote unquote, worked on it. What they've done is compounded it. You you went from a scratch to a gaping wound of a problem. And it's really hard to go backwards and undo that amount of damage. And there's a lot of guilt and about why didn't i ask more questions why didn't i stand up for my dog how could this have happened and i think it's just simply consumer education a lot of people just don't know better and we can't blame them. There's there's so no. many hacks out in the world.
1: It's, it's I almost impossible to avoid. You said it right on the money. This one felt terrible. And I said, you know, you didn't know any better. And I train other people how to be trainers. I've done the group classes, uh, teaching group classes and such for APDT. And, and when I speak across the country, I speak about it. I always emphasize the fact that we have a tremendous responsibility. People look to us as experts and it is our responsibility to live up to that claim and to make sure that when they trust their precious dogs to us, that we treat them with respect and care and that we know what we're doing. And if we don't know how to solve a problem, that we refer to someone who is qualified to do so as opposed to just kind of winging it on this poor dog. It really is an issue. And the point is never to bash the person who made the mistake. I've trusted my dog to other people that I regretted as well, especially when I started out. Now I'm a bit paranoid. Now I want to see reference <laughs> checks. I would like some yeah. blood. I would like to see you. Yes, a I, I would scan like, a blood sample. <laughs> absolutely. Some brain scans and I want, you know, veterinary references. I want to talk to your parents. Um, yes. uh, now I'm, I'm a little bit on the other end of that, but people don't know any better and, and they don't know all the qualifications that are necessary, which is one of the reasons I'm so thrilled that you wrote your book Fetching the Perfect Dog Trainer because I don't think that we've had a book like that before. I think there have been little sections of other books that covered maybe what you should look for, but this is just a great little book. And folks, it's a quick read. It's a short, information-packed book that won't take you very long to read at all, but it educates consumers as to what to look for. Is what we've been talking about one of the main reasons why you wrote the book? What was your motivation?
3: Yeah, actually, it's absolutely why. It was year after year after year of getting dogs that were trained by one local trainer in particular. And I, how how is this happening? How is this <laughs> one name popping up over and over and over? Why is this consistently occurring? And I, it's awful to say, but I went to this person's website and I was appalled by what I was reading. And to me, it's obvious because I live and breathe this industry. But when you step right. outside this industry there's almost like a little secret language where if you don't know the language, it's all Greek. And I essentially went through this person's website, and that's what inspired the different chapters and questions to ask during interviews because it looks so slick, so shiny. Yes. And it was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful.
1: and It's sparkly. It, uh, it must be so good. So sparkly.
3: <laughs> but you can make a great website or you can be a great dog trainer. Sometimes you get both and right. it's hard to know. And it's one bit and twice shy type situation. You know, you get a, somebody to come in, like you said, to do your tiling, you will never right. get a bad tiler again
1: after that. No. And yes. The, and unfortunately our dogs have to pay for that lesson yes. as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I found myself saying the same stuff over and over to clients about how to choose a trainer. And I thought, you know what? This be a book and it was hard to be all-encompassing because there's many different types of training out there whether you're looking for group classes or private lessons or sports competition just manners raising your puppy there's so many different things so to include all of that and really it was common factors that make a great trainer regardless of what Type of training you're looking for. And I just tried to break it down into a quick, easy checklist that anybody could do. And I'm hoping that's
1: what was achieved in the book. I definitely think so. And I think that there are some common denominators for folks, whether you want to train your dog to be a therapy dog or whether you eventually want to go into agility or rally, or maybe you just want the dog to stop counter surfing, to leave the food on the counter alone. There are some common denominators that all really good trainers share that can form that foundation for making the right pick. Absolutely. And even if you've raised 16 labs throughout your life, you will get the
3: 17th lab. It's <laughs> just not listening. You can know all kinds of stuff about training. Sometimes and this has happened with me. I, I'm a cat behaviorist too. And I you know, have the piece of paper that says I know things about cats. I had to hire someone to come into my home to help me with cats. <laughs> give me information. That other people pay me to give them because I couldn't see the forest for the trees. I needed an outside perspective from someone who wasn't emotionally invested in the situation. And sometimes that's the case too. Even if you know how to train dogs, sometimes having somebody from the outside come in and give you perspective and sometimes resolve a problem so quickly in just one or two lessons, maybe that's all you need. So I, I encourage people, even if you know how to train Sometimes just talking to a professional, a qualified professional can make all the difference.
1: Yes. And as I mentioned earlier, training has changed so much. There's so many more humane and efficient ways to get behavior faster and better and more reliable. So even if you've been training something with, like you said, if you've had labs all your life and and you end up with that one, which I think I had in my class last week, I had someone say that exact same thing to me. Yeah. I've had labs all my life and I've never had one like this one. <laughs> and um, it's always the case. So I think that it helps to talk to a professional, to to get just an outside view and to see what else is current. We live and breathe this stuff. We do it all the time. I have radio shows about it, but it's really refreshing to get some of the newest information because it's going to help you help your dog faster.
3: Absolutely. and everything, there's not forceful type training, food type training. That's, I think, what the common perspective has become, sort of the pop culture of the dog training world. There's a lot more subtle nuances to training that encourages a dog to enjoy the training process it can be based in play it can be based it can impact their diet you know if they do the way you feed them there's so many ways that you can have an impact on training and so many subtle little tools and tips and techniques tricks and little things that we're constantly discovering. And I think if you're working with a trainer who hasn't stayed up to date on things, they may still be good and they may still be quite effective. There's somebody who's more current and may be able to do it a little bit quicker, a little bit nicer, a little bit faster, a little bit better because we're constantly uncovering things in science about the way dogs think and process. And there's so much to learn. Trainers I feel are obligated to continue to grow and educate themselves just like any other, and I use the term, profession, not <laughs> <hobby. Yes. laughs> you, yes. don't, you don't want a brain surgeon that stopped going to conferences 15 years ago. No, thank you. You also do not want a dog trainer who stopped going to conferences 15 years ago.
1: Exactly. And there's so many opportunities for trainers now with webinars and online things that are cost reasonable so that they're really I don't think there's much of an excuse now for someone to say, well, this is the way I've always done it. Don't get me wrong. We don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We don't necessarily give up techniques that have worked well. But a lot of times there are more modern techniques. The more we understand about these little furry ones that live with us, the more we can better help them. And we are going to be exploring that even further. What I'm going to do is when we come back, ask Katina exactly what should people look for in a dog trainer? We keep talking about the bad. We're talking about what you want. How do you get there? We'll find out when we come back right after these messages.
0: We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned.
3: I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well read.
1: With Audible, I feel smarter.
2: Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership Plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com. Having a rough day? Longing for the
0: dog days of summer? LifeRadio.com <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Yodi Anderson. And with me today is my guest, Katina Jones. She's the Director of Educational Programs for the Association of Professional Dog Trainers. We have been talking about the need for choosing the right trainer for your dog. If you're going to go to a class, and not just for your dog, what about for you? I know some great trainers who can train their dogs to do amazing things, but they're not really nice with people. And as my listeners, I want you to have people nice to you as well. So we're going to talk about that. But Katina, what should people look for? What kind of characteristics should they look for in a trainer to make sure that they're getting a modern professional trainer?
3: I think what you just mentioned actually is a a pretty important aspect that is often overlooked. I think you should feel very comfortable with your trainer, somebody that you can be yourself with and not always on guard and laugh with and joke with because it can get heavy depending on what type of behavior you're working on. You know, it could be a sit or a down, or it could be we're trying to deal with a very significant aggression problem. We need to lighten up a little bit. We need to joke and be able to breathe and just have comfort and right. not always be serious. I'm not saying screw around, but I'm saying be comfortable in a heavy situation. So I think there does have to be a level of personality meshing. Somebody could be a wonderful trainer, but if your personalities clash for any reason, and it could just be no particular reason you can put your finger on. If you don't feel comfortable standing up for yourself, advocating for your pet, questioning a technique or a tool and feel that you're being respected back from that person, walk out. You're paying them to teach you more so than to train your dog. A lot of people can train dogs. It takes a professional to train a person how to train their dog. There has to be a give and take and a mutual respect if you don't feel respected and you don't feel comfortable and your pet doesn't either. So I really think some sort of personality meshing is critically important.
1: Right. And I want to touch a uh, point on this that you brought up is that we are mainly training people my clients tell me this all the time they're like you know you're not really training my dog I'm like no I'm not I could have done that about a week ago but I'm really working with you and that's the fun part for me I I love dogs I love people and I love working with them and I love watching them work together it is the biggest joy that I get from training is to see that team just emerge and, and it just thrills me each time there are different types of training you can certainly go to group classes where you learn along with your dog with other dogs in that setting there are private lessons where a trainer comes. To your home, or you meet the trainer for a one on one lesson with you and your dog. There's also board and train, where you send your dog away to be trained where the trainer comes back in order for that to be effective. I want to caution everyone is that that dog is going to learn to listen to that other trainer really, really well. And I have colleagues who do board and train exceptionally well. And I have heard even worse horror stories too horrible for me to share on this family program about <laughs> dogs that have not done well because of lots of really harsh techniques that people didn't know what was being done to their dog so with any board and train program I'm not saying that it doesn't work because it does but there have to be transfer sessions you have to sit in on some lessons so that the trainer can transfer the behaviors to you because if the dog doesn't listen to you it's a waste of your money another kind of training is day training where the trainer comes to your home takes the dog and works with them and again it's really convenient for people because they don't have to do it all themselves but there have to be transfer sessions And if there are none, if a trainer says that they're going to take that dog and whisk it away and magically deliver it two weeks later, perfectly trained, and they don't talk to you about follow-up lessons, run away because you're going to be wasting your money and you don't know how that dog was trained.
3: Absolutely. It's the vast majority of dog training is people training. And if you have a dog and you have a training problem, it's typically a communication problem between you and the dog. You have certain expectation. If your dog has another expectation, and communication is just not happening. So, a great deal of the training is actually straightening out that communication. When you do this, he thinks you mean this. When he does this, he thinks that's good. So, you need someone to explain that and show you how to communicate with each other because they're going to get really good at communicating with your dog. But a couple of weeks, a couple months later, the problem's going to be back because yeah, yes. you're still not communicating. So, right. You can Google, you can find so many trainers, but absolutely. And I don't believe one transfer session is enough. I believe there needs to be at least a few sessions where you can learn it, take it home, try it, come back, talk about it again. So absolutely somebody you're comfortable with somebody who isn't doing all of the training for you, involving you in the process. It doesn't matter what the certifications are, as long as you understand what certifications are. I was um, going to get to that. I
1: was going to get to that. <laughs> okay. It's it's funny cuz let, let's go ahead and talk about the alphabet soup cuz we've got lots of let I have letters behind my name, have, you, have, you letters. have letters, we could exchange some letters. Yes. It would be great. But we have alphabet soup in our industry we now. Do. And anyone can go to like a 6-week little class and call themselves a master trainer. Yes. And you know, so and you do a great job of addressing that in the book, uh, fetching the perfect dog trainer. Why don't you talk a little bit about the alphabet soup? And, Exactly what that means.
3: Well, so when we say alphabet soup, if you look up a trainer's name, you'll often see a series of letters after their name. My family and friends joke often that I just had a cat lay on my keyboard and just saved that as my new business card. <laughs> and that is essentially what it means to the average pet-owning public. It means nothing. It doesn't it really is nothing. And when dog trainers talk about these certifications, we all joke with each other because it's alphabet soup. And some of them are true certification. Some of them indicate graduation from a program. Some of them may be used incorrectly. Like for example, if you see APDT after someone's name, it's sort of like Me writing Katina Jones comma AAA (laughs) because I have a membership in AAA doesn't mean I'm certified by AAA. And EPDT is a common one that is mistaken and put after the name as certification. Membership is not certification. I have a membership in AAA. It doesn't mean I represent or uh, have been evaluated by AAA. And by AAA, I'm referring to the car. There's not a AAA dog school that I'm (laughs) being confused about. So when you see those letters, you want to understand exactly what those letters mean. And in the book, I go through a lot of the more common ones and which ones are degrees. For example, DVM or it's a veterinary degree. There's a a couple different types of veterinary degrees. Some mean a veterinary degree with a specialty in animal behavior. Some certifications mean dog training. Some mean dog training where you've been assessed in just your knowledge. Some mean you've also been assessed in your skill. So all of those letters are sort of an internal code for dog trainers. We all know what that means. And honestly, in a lot of cases, I really think it's sort of like Pokemon cards. You want to collect (laughs) as many as you possibly can collect. So make sure you ask exactly what those are and who gave them those credentials And look them up. See what those credentials truly mean. Does it mean they graduated from a course? Or does it mean they sat down and took a multi-hour examination by someone who doesn't care if they pass or fail? You just have to prove that you know what you're talking about. And there's a big difference there. So without getting into it too much, because I could go on and on forever, (laughs) you can look that up. We have several of the alphabet soup combinations listed out on the APDP's website. And also it's listed out in the book, the more common ones, the ones you're most likely to see. And it explains exactly what those mean. And I've seen plenty of trainers with alphabet soup after their name that know nothing about actually laying hands on a dog in training are just right. not good. And I've seen people with zero letters after their name. It could train me into the ground. So letters is not the professional name. It's the skill. So don't just rely on those letters. It's not like an MD. You, you can get a doctor, and I'm sure everybody's experienced this. You just can't stand them. You think they're a quack. You don't think they know what they're talking about, and you walk out. You have that right to do that with a dog trainer as well don't believe that just those letters make them qualified
1: right you need to ask about the letters you definitely need to ask about the continuing education we emphasize that yep, you also absolutely. need to ask about what type of training they do what methods do they use are they using modern humane techniques or are they still based in very harsh physical techniques what else do you need to ask a potential trainer that you might want to hire
3: I always ask for references. When I am looking for references from another trainer, I ask them for references from their clients. So say you have a particular case, let's say it's won't come when called. Call up your trainer, potential trainer, and ask them if you can talk to previous clients, and don't leave it at that, previous clients who have successfully resolved coming when called or Separation anxiety or whatever you're looking for, you don't want to just ask for references because they could be sending you their best friends and their parents and their children to pretend to be references. What you want is someone who has gone through and successfully resolved what you're looking to resolve. And if there are no references, hang up and go to the next (laughs) person on your list.
1: Call the next uh, person on the list. Absolutely. I also like to recommend to people to attend a group class without your dog. Absolutely. You're going to ask ahead of time. It's not right for you to bring your dog if you haven't enrolled in the class. But most quality trainers have no problems at all with you auditing a class just to see what it's like. You know, are the people happy? Are they treated with respect? Are the dogs happy? Is the trainer patient? Do they have patience in answering questions? Do they leave time for questions? Are they organized? And is the class safe? I think that's often overlooked yes. as well. Is the class Safe for you, is it safe for your dog? If there's a dog that is slightly reactive, maybe barking or growling, is that dog separated out? Is that dog excused? Is that dog put behind a barrier? Or does the trainer just blissfully unaware of the fact that the woman with the tiny Yorkie feels terrified at the giant dog growling and barking at her dog next to her? You really need to pay attention to those little things. And sometimes you're only gonna find that out if you actually attend a class and observe.
3: Absolutely. And I I personally prefer someone not just show up. Because I may be working on something where that distraction will be detrimental to what we're working on in class. If I know someone is going to be there, I have no problem at all. So what I always recommend is contacting the trainer. Ask if you can come in and watch a couple different classes. Because we all have good days and bad days. And stick around. Talk to the students in the parking lot after. See what they really think. And talk to a few different ones. Absolutely. And if you find someone who says, absolutely not, I do not allow anyone to watch my classes, hang
1: up. They shouldn't have anything to hide. That that, just—that's just a bad thing, right there. And I have to tell you, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of your book is the section on red flags. So (laughs) we're getting close to time. So I want to cover some of these red flags. I'm going to save my absolute favorite for the end, but I want to talk about a few of these. I'm not going to go over all of them. You all have to go get the book. But one of them is a big one. I think in our industry, it's guarantee outcomes. Why don't Mm -hmm. you speak to that?
3: I am not a snake oil salesman. I cannot guarantee (laughs) that your dog will be cured of all problems. It's like your psychologist guaranteeing they can resolve your problems or your personal trainer guaranteeing that you can wear that sexy two-piece that you used to wear in high school. It can't be guaranteed because someone else is involved and that is you. I cannot guarantee any training because I can't guarantee that you, the owner of the dog, will do the work. I also can't guarantee that... The dog will enjoy me maybe your dog prefers men maybe your dog is more comfortable in a different setting there's so many factors the dog is involved The people are involved the environment is involved there are no guarantees anybody who guarantees an outcome with dog training other than saying i guarantee i cannot guarantee this walk away. Absolutely, You can't guarantee it when there's so many factors that cannot be controlled.
1: I tell clients all the time, it says, I don't live with you. <laughs> I can't control all of your life. Yeah. So I don't know if you're going to do your homework. I don't know if your yep. dog is going to have a bad day. So you can't guarantee Plus, it's against our code of ethics for the APDT Absolutely. and for several of the organizations I'm with because that is so snake oil salesman-like. So if somebody is guaranteeing outcomes, that is a red flag, bright, bright, bright red. Here's another one, easy for us, but r- obviously relies on harsh, painful, or forced methods, or focus heavily on dominance as explanations for behavior problems, or suggest alpha roles or other methods for putting the dog in its place. It shouldn't be a combative relationship. You're trying to get your dog to work with you. You can still be a leader, but you don't have to be a dictator about it. So if someone's telling you that it's us against them, that is very old school. There's no need to go there.
3: I always compare it to going to work. Do you want to work for a jerk, or do you want to work (laughs) for somebody that inspires you to be better? And says, you know what? You did a good job today. I really like what you did today. a mutually respectful relationship between you and your dog, where your dog is, yes, let's train. Show me what you want to do. That is a beautiful thing. And that happens. And that's what a trainer should inspire.
1: Yes. And how about, here's another red flag that Katina has in her book, claims to never use treats
3: to bribe
1: a dog.
3: I will train a dog with what that dog wants me to train it with. If it's treats excellent if it's toys all right if it's petting sure if it's being able to run around in the yard after you do something correct all right there's no one size fits all to dog training and a truly effective dog trainer understands that rewarding good behavior is not bribery offering something and showing the dog the treat to sit down yes that's bribery and that's incorrect dog training If you're into week two, week three, and your dog trainer hasn't phased out those treats yet, you might want to have a little chat with them about it. But saying that treats are bribery and are not effective just simply indicates that the person does not understand very basic, very fundamental concepts
1: of how all animals on the planet learn. We expect a paycheck when we do work, unless we're doing it for other reasons, volunteer work. They have the passion we feel for volunteer work, the good feelings we get for that. But for employment and in order to pay these mortgages and keep these dogs in kibble, we often have jobs and we expect a paycheck. Dogs are no different. Sometimes we, I think we expect more of them um, mm-hmm. when they actually are a simpler species. Well, I yeah. said I was going to save my favorite for last, and this one just makes me laugh every single time. This is one of Katina's red flags in her book. If a trainer tells you, you can tell by my scars that I'm not afraid to train aggressive dogs. This slays me. If you have so many scars because you're training aggressive dogs, you're doing it wrong. Again, this many years ago, I was a trainer, and I was wrapping up my class. Most of the students had left, and this other trainer came down from another section of the parking garage, and blood is just dripping down her arm. I know, and so I go running. I'm like, are you okay? She goes, yeah, and she was very pleased. And I'm thinking, you know, we got to take you to the hospital. Do you need anything? She says, well, I said, what happened? She goes, well, I had a miniature schnauzer who wouldn't lie down. And so I forced him into a down over and over again, and I won. And I'm thinking, um, who's the one bleeding here? Um, Maybe your idea of winning is a little different from mine because when I'm feeling successful, I am not bleeding from bite wounds. And what had happened was, back in the day, and and this is how you used to train the down, is you would yank the choke chain down or you pull the front legs forward and force the dog into a down if it wouldn't go down. And this little dog didn't want to lie down. And he was probably afraid or for whatever reason. It was a parking garage. I wouldn't want to lie down on it either. But – she forced him into it and he felt a need to defend himself. That's what really happened was this dog was so stressed at this point that he felt a need after probably giving her many signals otherwise to please back off. She escalated it and so he nailed her and she was so proud of herself and I'm sitting there thinking, no, you didn't win because now the dog really doesn't like you and really doesn't want to lie down and now we have all this other fallout and by the way, you need to go to the doctor. (laughs) You're bleeding. And But that would always remind me with that story because I, I just remember distinctly her being very successful and winning because she has all these scars and, and good trainers do get bit. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes Absolutely. we get bit. They are creatures. We do the best we can. A good trainer is going to be safe about it, but you shouldn't look like some sort of you know survivor of a natural disaster <laughs> yeah. when you arrive to trade a dog and boast about, well, this was the Doberman who got me in you know 68 and this was... That is not a good thing.
3: No, no. And if a client dog bites me, it's because I screwed up. Right. It's because I made a mistake. I didn't see the signals. I didn't have the situation prepared. That's my mistake. And it will never happen again. And I did have a case where it was poor communication. It was a a college student who had read... A book while he was on break, so he knew what to do now. Mm. <laughs> and I came in, and the dog was supposed to be on a leash, but he secretly took the dog off the leash to show me that he knew what he was doing. And the dog came flying across the room and nailed me. Oh. Luckily, it was winter, so I had a winter coat on, but I could never work with that dog again. I didn't right. trust the family, and I was afraid around the dog, so I had to refer them to another trainer. And I want to point out that is, in my opinion, If a trainer says to you, I don't know, or I can't do that, here, let me help you find someone who can. That's not a bad thing. That's somebody who knows their limitations, and your trainer should know their limitations and be able to help you find the solution to address the problem that you're working on. If it's a, oh yeah, I can do anything type approach. I would be sure to get lots of references on that one. There should be plenty of references if if a trainer can handle absolutely anything that you throw at them.
1: Yeah, specialty is not a bad thing. And, and, and you yeah. know, think about the doctors again. There's general practitioners and there's a dermatologist and an ophthalmologist yeah. and all these gists that you can have. And someone who is truly a professional and truly a qualified professional is going to admit when they're in over their heads or when it's beyond yeah. and where to refer out. And hopefully they'll be able to help you find someone who is qualified in that particular niche. Well, folks, these and other wonderful tidbits are in Katina's book, Fetching the Perfect Dog Trainer. Katina, where can folks find your book? They can find it at
3: dogwise.com. There's a paper version, and there's also an ebook version, and it just happens to be on sale right now. It's 50% oh, off. The how ebook Canadian. is a whopping five bucks. Wow. And so I wanted to make this book as inexpensive as possible. I'm not looking to make money on it. I donate what money, what proceeds come to me to Rhode Island Rescues, and I don't keep any of it. I'm not looking to make money. I'm looking to help public find good dog trainers. It's a great gift for people. You can really sit down and read it cover to cover in an hour, maybe. It's so fast. And it's not designed to be a cover to cover read. It's designed to be a resource that you keep on your shelf. It's got great tips that you hand off to your neighbor who's looking for a trainer, that she hands off to her son-in-law who's looking for a trainer. It just becomes that little checklist of things.
1: And so it will help you find the right trainer for you and your dog, because remember that you are a team. Well, Katina, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so much fun. Thank
3: you so much. And thank you for coming up with the title of my book, You and Your Clever Words. I thought (laughs) it was a very good title.
1: Thank you. That was me, folks. I did title it. That's not why she's a guest on my show. I really do (laughs) love this book. But I wouldn't have offered her a title if I didn't love this book. But yes, that was me.
3: And again, (laughs) dogwise.com. D-O-G-W-I-S-E, dogwise.com.
1: Yes, definitely check out dogwise.com and pick up Fetching the Perfect Dog Trainer by Katina Jones. Well, this has been another fun episode of Get Positive Results. I'd like to thank my producers for making it all possible. And everybody stay safe and go back to school with your dogs. Take care.
0: Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.